comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs, and one. Cal up top, Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. Watson, and a foul! This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. Aztec Nation. This is the Aztec Breakdown Podcast, and I am Trone coming at you after a very busy, busy weekend, shall we say, for Aztecs fans. A lot of news happened this weekend, a lot of developments. So, that's what we're going to get into. It's for both basketball and football we're going to talk about, although it'll probably mostly be football. And uh, that's, going to be, that's going to be the topic for today on this early morning podcast. So buckle up and let's take a ride. So the thing that we all thought needed to happen for this program to be successful happened in that Jeff Heklinski, the offensive coordinator for the football team, is no longer with the football team. When I checked into it, it was unclear about whether he left of his own accord or if he was fired or what the exact deal was. In the end, it probably doesn't matter all that much, but he is out and Jeff Horton the associate head coach, is in as the offensive coordinator. Jeff Horton, you may remember, was the coordinator during the Rocky Long years, and in that time span was the guy that we were all saying we didn't think was doing a good job and shouldn't be the offensive coordinator. So it's an interesting time to be like, yeah, Jeff Horton is back as offensive coordinator because at the time we were all like, he's trash, but now we're like, at least he's better than Heklinski. So... It's an interesting time, but it should hopefully be a positive development. There's, in some cases, like especially the passing game, there's literally only one way to go, and that's up because they are the worst passing team in all of Division I football right now. So there's that. Now before progressing, I do want to say, like, take a moment and let's realize that while we all tend to agree that this is what's best for the program, that Jeff Heklinski wasn't doing doing a good job, and that it's not just like a short time span thing. This is his third year here, and the offense is the worst it's ever been. So it's not just like, oh, he didn't get a chance or anything like that. At the same time, we were calling for someone to lose their job, right? And while ultimately, I do believe he will be fine, right? He'll, he'll get a job in football somewhere else doing something else. And hopefully, hopefully for everyone involved, right? Like if it's his skill set better, because he, was, he wasn't good as an offensive coordinator. And that's okay. Maybe he can be good at other things. He just wasn't good at that. But I just, I did want to take a moment and be like, you know, this guy, he did just lose his job, and that can be a stressful time, and uh, it's not something that in general I think we as people should be like wanting and calling for, 
too much, even if, even if he is bad at his job. Like, I just, I don't know. I wanted to, to point that out. And hopefully, despite, like, him being bad at his job, it wasn't malicious. So I, I hope we can all wish him the best in whatever he does in the future. But anyways, back on to the main point. Hicklinski's out. Horton is in as offensive coordinator, which did leave a hole at the quarterback coach position because Hecklinski, on top of being the offensive coordinator, also doubles as the quarterback's coach. And so Brady Hoke and his staff brought in Ryan Lindley, former Aztec quarterback and the guy that, you know, whenever people talk about Aztec quarterbacks, they're like, he was the last good one. He was the last one that was able to to do things. That was Ryan Lindley. And so he is now in as the quarterback's coach. And that was somebody else that the fans were clamoring for in the sense of, like, he should be the next guy to come in as a quarterback's coach, specifically. He should be that guy. And so the fans got got a twofer, got a twofer in, in the football coaching realm. The guy they wanted out was out. The guy they wanted in was in. So that is all great news. And, you know, between those those two moves, hopefully it will help the program be better. That being said, I don't think we should expect anything crazy anytime soon, let alone this year, right? And that's that's for a couple reasons. One, we've seen Jeff Horton run an offense before, and it's not like it was particularly great either, right? Like, he did a lot of the same stuff under Rocky Long that, that Hecklinski did, at least from a fan perspective. Like, fans would complain about a lot of the same things, about how the play calling wasn't creative and about how uh, it was just too focused on the run game and without a dominant running back, you couldn't really do anything and all sorts of stuff like that. So, you know, him coming in as the play caller should be an upgrade, but it's only just because you can't really do much worse and have gotten that far in your coaching career, basically. So that's one. Number two is this, and I tried to say this on Twitter the other day, and I think it definitely came across wrong. It came across as if I was given excuses for the coaching staff, and that wasn't that wasn't the point at all. Uh, the point was still that the coaching staff, and, and Hecklinski specifically, needed to go, but what I wanted to do was temper expectations and be like, even if Hecklinski goes, it's not going to solve everything right away. We shouldn't, we shouldn't expect a Boise State-like turnaround and have this offense score 35 points next week. I, I don't think that's going to happen. And the reason is because the, the players, and especially the players at the key positions, aren't that good overall, right? Uh, and, and, and here's my, my point with that. There is some talent on the offensive side of the ball. Absolutely. Right. You look at a guy like Jesse Matthews, he's a good football player. I don't know if he would be the number one wide receiver for like a good power five type of school, 
but he's a good receiver regardless. We've seen him be a good number one receiver for a Mountain West school. And so he can do it. He has the talent to do it, right? Same thing with some of the other receivers. Same thing in like the running back room, right? There is some talent in that running back room. I do think it has been mismanaged to a certain extent. And I've talked about that in the past. But that being said, having talent at those positions isn't going to mean a whole lot if the talent at, say, the quarterback position isn't there. And even that gets tricky because Burmeister was pretty successful last year at, <laughs> at his last school. But, but he was, I mean, he was at least at a uh, Lucas Johnson level, right? And the numbers had him... It's probably a little bit better than a Lucas Johnson type of type of guy. But this year, he has been on pretty much every time they've given him the opportunity to pass. He has either like misread the route and the receiver and who was open and all that stuff. So he's like forcing passes into places that they shouldn't go or on the chances that he does make the right read and does throw to an open receiver the throw misses by like yards sometimes it's not like it's it's not like it's getting close and it's just a little bit behind or a little bit ahead or something like that it's like by entire yards he's missing overthrowing underthrowing all sorts of issues and doing that like it if you can't get your playmakers the ball it's not going to matter it's not going to matter how good your wide receivers are if even on the times that they get open, which isn't every time and isn't, it's not realistic to expect it to be every time, but even when they get open, they can't get the ball because the quarterback can't get it to them. Like that's problematic. And so if the talent isn't there, then it's not going to matter who the offensive coordinator is. Now, maybe with Horton coming in, maybe he can help out some, maybe he can be better at like dissecting what routes Burmeister is, is good at throwing. For example, Lucas Johnson last year, he struggled with a lot of like crossing route type things, but those back shoulder fades, he could throw those really nicely, right? He could, he could complete those almost anytime he wanted. And so maybe you do something similar for Burmeister, but from what he's shown so far, he doesn't, he doesn't really have any of those. He's had a couple, a couple different drives where he's been able to, to flash some skill, but it hasn't been consistent. And so it doesn't matter how creative the play is or what the cadence of the play calling is in terms of when you call runs, when you call passes, when you call like trick plays, it's not going to matter if the quarterback can't get his guys the ball ultimately. And then the other thing is the offensive line. The offensive line hasn't been up to its up to its usual level. And and once again, maybe a new offensive coordinator can come in and help right the ship a bit. Maybe they can simplify things or or figure out what blocking schemes work best for the talent they have or or something. But the offensive line hasn't looked great they are struggling to open holes for guys 
right, outside of outside of a game against an FCS team and outside of a couple big 40-yard runs by Jordan Bird, the running game hasn't exactly looked great either. And that's supposed to be the one thing that the offense can count on. And granted, it would probably help if there was a passing game of some sort to go along with it. But even so, they haven't been able to open up holes for the running back. And in the passing game, whoever is back in the pocket is getting swarmed seemingly every time, which also can't help with those with those accuracy issues. Like it could very well be the case that Burmeister would be doing better if he had better protection. That could be the difference between San Diego State and uh, Virginia Tech, I want to say was his last school, whatever his last school was. That could very well be the difference in what's causing a lot of the issues, at least one of the things, you know, in addition to different talent levels and different coaching styles and things of that nature. And so if you don't have the talent at the offensive line, if you don't have the talent at the quarterback position specifically, getting a new offensive coordinator might not mean all that much in the end. It's hard for it to get worse, but it might not get all that much better. And I like to be optimistic, right? It might get a little bit better. I'm not saying it won't improve at all. But, like I said, I I don't think we should expect the offense to all of a sudden blow up for, for five touchdowns and a half the way the Boise State offense did. I don't think that's going to be realistic with this group, which is sad because Boise State also happened to do it with, like, their second and third string quarterback, and they still did that. And the Aztecs haven't been able to do that with their first string quarterback. And it does get very frustrating seeing other teams seemingly every year have backup quarterbacks that are better than the Aztecs quarterbacks. And some of that does certainly have to be on on coaching and and something to do with that but it's it's very discouraging um especially considering the Aztecs one of the other things that happened against Boise State was Braxton Burmeister got hit in the head helmet to helmet and so he is in concussion protocol he might be ready for the game against Hawaii on Saturday maybe sure also maybe not and then Kyle Crum the backup broke his collarbone against Boise State and so the Aztecs are down to their third quarterback who is another true freshman and so I mean if ever there was a time to bring in your backup and and have them go off it's now uh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen he went he went 0 for 7 on his passes against Boise State so we will we will see we will see but just temper expectations a little bit and let's not expect a major offensive turnaround something like that is probably going to have to wait until next season honestly when they can get in realistically another new offensive coordinator somebody who's not Horton because we have seen that before but also get in some new talent at the quarterback position and 
maybe at the offensive line too. The offensive line is a place where they can grow as they continue to play this year. And so hopefully by the end of the year, they're better. But if not, you know, hopefully the the program can get some talent through the transfer portal or or something there at those two spots. In basketball news, the Aztecs picked up another commitment from a high school player. They got a guy named Miles Heidi or Miles Hyde. I haven't looked up the pronunciation yet. I apologize. Uh, he's a he's a six nine big man from up in Washington. I haven't been able to get into the the tape yet. I'm still trying to finish up the tape on the guard we got. But the reviews on him early, at least at least in Ziegler's report in his in his article, have been very good. They, they make him sound like a very good player. They do talk about how badly Brian Dutcher wanted this player, how badly Coach Dutcher wanted this player, and how like he he for part of his article he interviewed the high school coach and the coach was saying that he has had players be recruited by colleges before but he had never seen somebody want a player as bad as coach Dutcher wanted this player. He said it was always stuff like, you know, assistants would be calling, like assistant coaches would be calling and checking in and things like that. And with this player, it was it was coach Dutcher was doing all, all this stuff because he wanted this kid so badly. I do, I do tend to reserve judgment for like what players are capable of doing just until I see it myself because I feel like there are too many times where somebody will say, oh, this player can do this and that and this. And when you put on the tape, you'll be like, oh, yeah. He, he did that once, like, you know, it'll say, like, they have a strong mid-range game, and you'll look, and, like, sure, you'll watch a game, and they will make a mid-range shot, uh, but they'll miss, like, three or four other ones, or something like that, and so it's, it's hard to tell, and it's hard to know exactly what they're doing until you watch it for yourself, and you can kind of determine that for yourself. With that in mind, though, the article mentioned that uh, as a junior, Miles was pretty much your more prototypical back-to-the-basket style big man. All his scoring was on putbacks and hook shots and moves in the post that are very close to the basket, and there were no like jump shots taken or, or anything like that. But then over the summer, he started adding other things to his game. He started adding like an elbow jumper and apparently he's been working on his three-point shooting and that's been coming along and other aspects of his game that should make him a lot more versatile. And at 6'9", like that is very, very promising if it holds out to be true. And like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to wait and see. And for some of that stuff, I probably won't even see it when I look at the tape if it just started happening over the summer because most of the games that I find will probably be from his high school. I did look up his stats last year and they looked they looked good. They looked promising for sure. 
he he averaged, I think, if I remember correctly, he was averaging a double-double in points and rebounds. And I do remember his field goal percentage was like 71%. And it wasn't like on small volume either. Like, you'd expect something like that from a guy who is just scoring through like hustle plays on offense. Like, if they're just a, a guy who gets the ball when they're rolling to the basket or if they're getting putbacks or things like that, you'd expect a pretty high field goal percentage. Uh, so we'll see how much of it was that versus how much was other things like those hook shots and other other little shimmy shots and things in the post. We will, we will see. But it seemed like it was on high enough volume that it should include a good amount of those other things too. It would be hard to get as many putbacks, like as many shots off of putbacks as he seemed to have. So that is promising that hopefully he can be good on offense, at least in that regard. There are highlight videos out there floating around in the Twitterverse, and they do, they do look good. You know, we do need to temper our expectations off of highlight videos because I'm here, right, as a 31-year-old man, and if you put together a highlight video of all the things I've done, I would look like a pretty good player, and I'm not. I'm not... I'm not a good player. Uh, I don't have the skill or the athleticism for it. And so, at least, <laughs> at least not at that level, right? Not at that level for sure. And so, you need to be careful when watching highlight videos because they're highlights, right? All you're seeing are the very best things. You're not seeing the things that are above, just above average. You're not seeing the things that are you know, just okay, and you're not seeing the things that are bad, right, and so anybody can be made to look good on a highlight video, but you got to see the bad stuff too before you can fully form what this player is capable of, that being said, the highlight videos look pretty cool, I saw one the other day that was, or not the other day, yesterday, that was Miles, he, he got a rebound, Actually, it wasn't a rebound. It was a block. He blocked a guy. He, uh, the, the offensive player kind of got by him, or, or at the very least got even with him. And usually when that happens, that's advantage offense. But Miles was able to recover and get the block. And so that's one of those things that's like, well, he got by you, which isn't great maybe, but also you were able to recover and use your your length and your footwork to get the block. So there, there's a positive side there. But he got the block, and then he got the ball, and he just drove it himself down the lane in transition and ended up finishing with a dunk. And having a 6'9 guy who can grab and go like that can be pretty valuable. Like, even without a three-point shot or an elbow jumper or a fadeaway jump shot or any of the stuff he's been working on. Take all that out and still having a guy who's 6'9 who can run the floor that way can be can be pretty pretty valuable. And so that in and of itself was was a good look and it was nice to see. Right? It showed off a little athleticism, showed off a little bit of ball handling, at least in the open court, and the ability to finish on the run like that. And so that was nice. I do tend to put my faith in the coaching staff, and if like if they think somebody's going to be really good, 
they tend to know what they're doing. They're probably going to be really good. And so I will get into the tape at some point here. But in the meantime, just got to kind of believe that the coaches know what they're doing. I guess if there's a downside, it's that Miles is only 6'9". And it seems like from what's been written and also like the the comp the, the composition and the makeup of the rest of the team, it seems like he will be slotted in as a center. And 6'9 might be a little small for center. Could be. Right? I know Nathan Mensa is only 6'10, sure. But also Nathan Mensa has that 7'5 wingspan. And that helps correct for things, right? You had guys like Nemius Keita at Utah State. He was a seven-footer, right? You had, you know, the Aztecs. They, it seems like they don't usually get seven-footers. Skyler Spencer was 6'10", the all-time blocks leader in the conference. So, sure, like, you can absolutely be successful at that 6'10", even that 6'9 range, right? The Aztecs were pretty good with Deshaun Stevens as the center, and he's only listed as 6'8". So... It can be done, but, uh, and I'm pretty sure I've said this on the show before, one of my biases is towards size, right? I like to see players that are big on top of being skilled. And 6'9 might be just a tad undersized there for that center spot. And so that is a little, I don't even know if discouraging is the right word, but you just kind of wish he was bigger. He would be fantastic if you could play him as like a power forward and especially if he has that three-point shot play him as like a stretch four and then pair another guy who is like a true seven footer with him that would be fantastic somewhere down the line but that probably isn't going to be the case I wouldn't imagine uh because the other bigs that are going to be sharing the time with him for for a large chunk of his career, and this is assuming there's no transfers or anything like that, but you you got Elijah Saunders on the roster already, and he's at 6'8", and he can, like we have seen, he can shoot the ball well, and he has all these different skills and things, and he's going to be a year more seasoned by that point as well because he's going to be in the system this year while Miles is a senior. So... Saunders, obviously not this year, but by the time, by the time Miles is ready to start playing minutes, it's, it's not out of the question to think that Saunders will kind of have that power forward spot locked down. And then at the center, you do have Demarche Johnson, who I believe is listed at 6'10", so a little bit bigger, but that will be the other center of the group. And you know what? Maybe Miles will be able to play a little bit of both. Maybe he'll be able to play some power forward and some center. I don't know. It might just see see how it goes here. Demarche Johnson would be, he will be a redshirt sophomore by the time Miles is with the program. And Elijah will be just a true sophomore. So you're going to have some young bigs in the coming years between, between like in, in, in two years, when Miles Heidi's with the program, he'll be a freshman. Saunders will be a sophomore. Demarche Johnson will be a sophomore. Ladie should still be with the, well, maybe not should, but could still be with the team. Uh, is If I understand it correctly, he will have eligibility to do so. But the only thing would be, does he leave for the draft? But so Ladie would be, you know, 
the experienced guy in that in that rotation for for Miles' freshman year. And then when he leaves, like that'll be a lot of minutes opening up for when Miles is a sophomore and probably more ready to contribute. So I don't know. This is all getting way down the line because you know the freshmen don't normally get a lot of playing time. They can. They absolutely can if they if they show that they can do it and if they earn it. But generally speaking, they don't. And so to project by the time Miles is playing, you have to go like a couple years into the future. It's not just next year when he's on the team, but it's the year after that. And so we will see what happens in that regard there with Miles. But for now, he looks like another very good pickup, a guy who other coaches have been overlooking for one reason or another. And the Aztec coaches, as they tend to do, find these these diamonds in the rough here, these people that nobody else was looking at, right? I think the best example of that for the current coaching staff, at least, right? Not maybe not in Aztec history, but for for the Dutcher era specifically, it's probably Matt Mitchell, right? A guy who who had like one other Division One offer before the Aztecs came. And then Matt Mitchell comes to San Diego State and finishes as probably a top 10 player in the history of the program. So the coaches are able to do that, and that's very exciting and very encouraging. And it will be fun to see what Miles can do when he gets onto the Mesa and when he gets some good time. But in the meantime, we have this season coming up, this 22-23 season, where the Aztecs should be really good. And so throughout most of the year, I'm going to be focusing on the current guys as opposed to guys in the future because, it, like, looking to the future is great, but we got to be able to enjoy this year, y'all. I've been thinking a lot lately. This is getting slightly off topic, but I've been thinking a lot about how how high people in general, people that cover the sport on a more national basis, people are very high, as per usual, like on Gonzaga, right? Gonzaga should be a pretty good team. And I don't know if they are seen as legitimate national title contenders, but I don't think it's out of the question that they could make a Final Four, right? They still have Drew Timmy at the very least, and that's somebody you can you can build a team around for sure. And so they have some talent, they'll have some ability, and they will once again just run roughshod through the WCC, get another high seed, and that'll help them advance far. They're, they're, they're at what, like six or seven straight seasons or something like that of making it to at least the Sweet 16, and they're the only team to do that. So Gonzaga could make a Final Four, and this is going to make sense in a minute, I promise. And then... People are also very high on Houston. And people are saying that Houston is a legit national title contender. And I get excited anytime a team from like a mid-major conference is a national title contender. Just because I want, I want someone from a mid-major to win a national title so bad. And sure, Houston will be in the Big 12 soon, but they aren't yet. And so to me, that would still that would still count as something. So you got Gonzaga, you got Houston, and then you have San Diego State. 
in San Diego State, we all think, and granted we're fans and we're, we're, we're biased, sure, but we all think this team is good enough to make a Final Four. Honestly, they were, they were mere minutes away from at least making it to the round of 32 last year, and they are, they are, or at least they project to be like a lot better this year, right? So it's, it's not out of the question that all three of those teams could make a Final Four. And how exciting would that be? Maybe, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me. <laughs> maybe, maybe y'all don't, don't care about that as much. But for me, that is like a super exciting proposition to have three teams from mid-major conferences all make the Final Four. Because then, at that point, like it's a pretty good chance that one of them is going to win the title. And on a more Aztec-centric level, like, that would mean the Aztecs made a Final Four, right? They not only broke that, that you know, ceiling of not being able to win a game in March that so many people are worried about, but they made it further than they've ever gone. And honestly, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure further than any Mountain West team has ever gone. I want to say, I don't think any Mountain West team has made it past the Sweet 16, but I'm doubting myself now because I know there's been some good Mountain West teams, especially the ones that like are no longer with the Mountain West. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe no current Mountain West team has ever made it past the Sweet 16. Regardless, like making a Final Four would be would be huge. I guess the only downside to that would be if other conferences are looking at adding San Diego State then, you know, if San Diego State goes, they've just won millions of dollars for the Mountain West, and then they don't get any of it because they, they leave. But overall, that trade-off would be worth it in the media deal, and whatever conference they get to should be getting teams in more regularly and on deeper runs more regularly in the Mountain West. So it would be made up for, but that would be like a, that would be like a, like a parting gift. Like, hey, Mountain West, here's, you know, six tournament units or whatever but we're we're out now uh anyways i am rambling on on at this point and so as technician i'm going to sign off i hope it was a good show and uh we will catch you next time